Well, good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. I trust that you have had a good week. Thank you for being here this morning. I'm glad that you're here. I'm not a joke teller. Some people are really good at telling jokes. I like stories. Uh, I like stories, and I like funny stories. So I, I want to begin with just a story this morning, and I think you'll like it. A woman by the name of Linda, who taught first grade, had an interaction with one of her students on the first day of school. Accustomed to going home at noon in kindergarten, Ryan was getting his things ready to leave for him when he was actually supposed to be heading to lunch with the rest of the class. Linda asked him what he was doing. I'm going home, he replied. Linda tried to explain to him that now that he's in first grade, he would have a longer school day. You'll go to eat lunch now, she said, and then you'll come back to the room and do some more work before you go home. Well, Ryan looked up and he was just in disbelief, hoping that she was kidding. Convinced of her seriousness, Ryan then put his hands on his hips and demanded, who on earth signed me up for this? <laughs> you know, maybe you've said that at some particular time in your life. You know, maybe there's a job or maybe there's responsibility or you know, maybe you've decided to do some exercise or lose some weight or do something and all of a sudden you, you ask yourself, who in the world signed me up for this? It's kind of natural for us to do that. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, as we look at the scriptures, as we look at the Bible, sometimes we can ask ourselves of the same thing. Okay, really, did, did I sign up for this? What do you mean, Jesus, that I'm supposed to forgive 70 times 7 to my, to my spouse or to my son or to my daughter? What do you mean I'm supposed to pray for my enemies? What do you mean all of these things? What does it mean when I'm supposed to turn the other cheek when somebody hurts me? Or what about um, taking up my cross? Who in who in the world signed me up for this? I, I surely didn't sign up for all of this. And, and the reason I say this and the reason I mention this is because in our text this morning, we may have that same opinion. Wow, did, did I really sign up for this? It's almost shocking. And I want to remind you that this morning, we're looking at the words of Jesus, not my words. I didn't make this up, but we're actually looking at the words of Jesus and he, what he would have for our lives and maybe the requirements of our lives of what it means to be a follower of or what it means to be a disciple of him. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to Mark chapter 8. Remember, we're on the road with Jesus. We've kind of been walking through the life of Jesus. You know, we've been up to Tyre and Sidon and we came all the way around to the Sea of Galilee. And, then, and now we've kind of gone back up north to Caesarea Philippi. We're uh, 25 miles north of all the all stuff going on and, and around this little village outside of Caesarea Philippi. So we're on the road with Jesus, and the disciples are having this conversation with Jesus, and they walk with him. Hear the word of the Lord. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 says this. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me. I just want to stop for just a minute. That is the theme of this morning. The theme of this morning is simply this. It's about discipleship. Uh, some of your versions talk about being a disciple. This is about following Jesus. These are Jesus' words to us about what it means for us to be a follower of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my word, words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. 
That is the word of the Lord from the, the lips of Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. Father, this morning, uh, the psalmist said, open our eyes that we would see wonderful things from your word. And Lord, I think sometimes on a, on a human level, it's, it's easy for us to look at maybe the demands and the requirements and the teachings that you give us and link them into a giant category of just rules and regulations of things that we need to do. And Father, there's no doubt that you have given us some instruction there, but there's a reason behind all of it. And Father, I pray that this morning, rather than seeing a bunch of rules and regulations in a to-do list, Father, we would see the heart and the character of who Jesus is and the real reason of why we need to do these things. Father, that we can actually lose our life by the things that we pursue. And Father, we can actually gain our lives by the things that we align with with regard to Jesus and his word. So Father, I pray that you simply open our minds and our hearts to the reality of Jesus and the wonder and the beauty of who he is. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. So I think one of the things that's really important for us to remember as we begin this morning is this. This is actually the application of the previous context, the previous passage. And in the previous passage, remember, Jesus revealed himself to the people and to the disciples. Remember, there was a, there was a conversation among the people and this conversation among the disciples about the identity of Jesus. And so Jesus was asking the question, who do the people say that I am? And they came up with the idea. Some say that you're Elijah or John the Baptist. And then what happened is, is Jesus then... I asked the disciples, well, who do you say that I am? And, and all of a sudden, the bells and whistles are going off in Peter's brain, and he confesses. He makes this wonderful confession, ding, ding, ding. You're, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the ones to which you're to follow. And, and Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. In other words, he had this kind of supernatural revelation as to the, to the understanding of who Jesus is. And, and then he began to correct, Jesus began to correct their thinking and saying this. Listen, yes, I'm the Messiah, I'm the anointed one, but, but what I'm going to do is I, I'm actually, I'm not going to reign in power. I'm going to, go to the, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to suffer a, a, a horrible death, and then three days later I'm going to rise again. And, and when the disciples heard, they were shocked. I mean, they didn't know what to do. I mean, what do you mean you're Messiah, you're going to die? No, Messiahs don't die, you reign in power. And then Jesus corrected their thinking. He said, listen, I, I, I'm going to go do that. You have a wrong understanding about who I am and what it means for me to be the Messiah. And then he actually had to correct their understanding because Peter said, no, you can't do this. And then Jesus rebuked Peter for his lack of understanding about who Jesus was and his ultimate purpose of going to the cross and offering himself for a sacrifice for sin. And, and actually in verse 33... Jesus tells them, listen, you have a wrong mindset. Your mind is set on the things on, on this world. But you need to have the right mindset. You need to have your, your mind set on the things above. And I say that about verse 33 because I think we need to have that, that understanding as we look at these verses. Are we going to set our minds on the things above what God would have? Or are we going to set our minds and hearts on the things of this earth? There is an eternal dimension to this teaching, but there's also an earthly dimension to this teaching. Where are we going to align ourselves and where are we going to follow ourselves? And, and as we walk through this, I think we're going to see three things. I want to pull out three things. Number one, this idea of, of discipleship, this idea of following Jesus, number one, it's personal. It's absolutely personal. Second thing is that Jesus makes a, a pronouncement. He gives us the conditions of what it means for you and I to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And at the end, there's some practical 
implications. In other words, if this is personal and, and we embrace this pronouncement, you and I, we're going to be different people. Our lives are going to be radically changed because of the gospel. And that's kind of where we're going this morning. If you want the outline, very simple. So let's just walk through this. You know, we know that Jesus is talking about discipleship. We know that Jesus is talking about what it means to be a follower. And number one, it, it, it's this. It's, it's, this is personal. This is absolutely personal to each one of us. So let me see if I can demonstrate this. Last night, um, I was uh, on, on my iPad, and I was on my computer, and I was looking to join a motorcycle forum, all right? Um, I'm sure some of you, the things that you do, you, you, you join a forum. Well, there was a motorcycle forum for a specific brand of motorcycle that I wanted to join. So I, I, I hit the button, and it said, join. So I'm, I'm joining this motorcycle forum. And then you kind of walk through, and then all of a sudden it takes you to maybe the terms and conditions of, of what you're agreeing to and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you always skip all over that. And you get to the end. And then I got to the end uh, of joining this, and then it had two questions. First question was, what is this forum all about? I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. The second question is, where are we based out of? I don't know. So I had to go back up and read through all the terms and conditions about this particular forum. And I found out that this forum is about a certain brand of motorcycles and nothing else. Only about this certain brand of motorcycles. The second thing I learned was this. It's based in the United States. So I went back to the end and I told them, this is about BMW motorcycles and this is about the United States where you're based in. If I don't know those two answers to the questions, guess what? I, I'm not going to get into the forum. There's no way I'm going to join the forum. Because they don't want people in there talking about Yamahas and Hondas and all these other things. They want people in there that way. You're going to talk about BMWs. If you don't, you're going to get kicked off the forum. They make it specific in there. And what I want us to understand is this. Listen, Jesus is giving us the terms and the conditions of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what he's laying out right here. And what he wants us to do is he wants us to acknowledge the terms and conditions. He wants us to acknowledge that if I want to be a follower, if I want to be a disciple of Jesus, what I need to do is I need to go and do what he wants me to do. And I need to follow him under these terms and conditions. It says in verse 34, whoever wants to be my disciple. If I want to be his disciple, then I need to agree to the terms and conditions. That makes sense, right? And we know that this isn't just for a certain kind of person. The invitation here to, to personally follow was, was open to all people. It says this, then he called the crowd. Notice he says, he says he called the crowd along with the disciples. Wait a minute, you guys, all the rest of you gathered around me. Come on in and hear what I have to say. This isn't just for the spiritually elite. This isn't just for the, the Pharisees and the religious elite. This isn't for a specific group of people. This is open to all people, if you will. In verse 34 and 35, it says whoever. In verse 36, it says someone. In verse 30, uh, verses 37 and 38, it says to anyone. And, and what he's saying is, listen, this, this call, this call to follow, this call to be my disciple is open to everyone. Think about the 12. Think about the diversity of the 12. You've got four fishermen. They're probably businessmen. You have a hated tax collector who is into making a profit. You have a zealot. And Jesus calls all of them, this collected group of all of them, and he says, okay, listen, by the way, what I want you to do is I want you to follow me. And that's the invitation that's given to all of us. It's not for a select group of people. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. 
black light. This is a call to embrace the life of Jesus as the anointed, as the Messiah, and to follow him. And what's interesting is, is when you look at the Gospel of Mark, over and over we see that people did follow. They did follow. They, remember, they, they heard the, the words and the teachings of Jesus, and it says they marveled at his teaching. They marveled at his words. And then he, whenever he would do a miracle, whether it be a healing miracle or, or uh, uh, calming the storm, it says the people marveled at him. And, and then in John chapter 6, it says that, that Jesus had just performed the miracle of 5,000, and then he began to teach them once again. And he began to teach them on an in-depth level, on an in-depth basis about who he is and maybe the requirements of what it means to be a follower and a disciple. And in John chapter 6, verse 6, remember what happens? It says this, the people no longer wanted to associate with Jesus. They no longer wanted to associate with Jesus. Listen, they wanted Jesus on their terms, not on the terms and the conditions that he would give to them. And I think sometimes that's exactly what we do. We want Jesus on our terms. Listen, don't make me do anything to follow. Don't make me sacrifice. Make, make my life really, really easy. But I don't want to agree to the terms and the conditions of, of what Jesus would give here. And, and I think what we need to be careful of is this. That when Jesus gives us this teaching about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to be a, a disciple, what we need to realize is that, that it's not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's not a checklist that I simply embrace. Oh, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. What, what, what Jesus is laying out here is this. He's laying out a philosophy, a mission for the way that he lived his life and for the way that we are required, if we want to follow Jesus, the way that we need to live our life. This isn't a pathway to financial security. This isn't a pathway to fix your marriage. This isn't a pathway to parenting. This isn't a pathway to how to fix your job. Though if you embrace the life and the teachings of Jesus, all of those categories will follow along underneath that because Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it the full. When I align myself with the principles that Jesus would give to us, I'm going to seek and experience fulfillment in those areas. And so what Jesus does here is he takes the disciples, he goes up to Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, in the Gospel of Mark alone, in the Gospel of Mark, he's the only one that mentions Caesarea Philippi, where all of these pagan gods, gods were at. And in the midst of all those pagan gods, in the midst of all of those different philosophies of life, he's saying, listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you how to live your life. And it's personal. I can't make that decision for you. Every one of us, need to look at the terms and agree to the terms and not cheat, try to look to the end, but check the box. So what Jesus is doing is he's bringing some personal teaching to his people. So what is the pronouncement? What is the pronouncement? What Jesus is going to, he's going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the terms and conditions. And, and listen, I cannot soften this anymore. What we have in these verses are the, the three imperatives, the three commands. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to give us the terms and conditions of what it means for you and I to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So what are the pronouncements? There's three of them. Number one is this. We need to disassociate ourselves with self. Look at verse 34. It's kind of a paradox here. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Whoever wants to be my disciple. If I, want, if I desire to be a disciple of Jesus, I must deny themselves. What in the world does that mean? Listen, we know how hard relationships are. If I want a relationship with God, I want a 
relationship with Jesus, if I want a relationship with my wife, we all know how difficult and challenging relationships are, right? I mean, I'm married to my wife. We've been married for 40 years. Imagine when we got married, if, if I made our relationship all about me, that my relationship with my wife was all about me and how I looked at marriage and how it kind of revolved around me and how it revolved around all the things that I wanted in life. And some of you may know people who live in a relationship like that. And and let me ask you, does that kind of relationship work? Of course it doesn't work. It's never going to work. It's going to get old really, really fast. I cannot make the relationship with my wife all about myself. What I need to do is I need to, and she needs to make intentional decisions to look at each other and to love each other. And there are times when she's going to need to deny what she wants, and I'm going to need to deny what I want. And we're going to have to come together in agreement. When Peter talks about denial, he means this, disassociate yourself or to sever a relationship. Disassociate or sever a relationship. Think about the word deny in the life of Peter when he denied Jesus. He's following Jesus, and they begin to ask him, um, or are you with him, are you with him, are you with him? And remember what happens? I do not know the man. In his denial, what did he do? He said, I do not know, I do not associate with the man. In his fear, he responded in such a way to sever the knowledge of his relationship with Jesus. And what we have to do is we have to be careful that we make all of life about us and we do not at times deny, subordinate what I would want to my wife or more specifically to the teachings and the authority of God's word. I cannot make life all about me. And I think we have an example of this from the life of Jesus. Where do you see that? Where's an example of that? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he knows that he's going to go to the cross. And he's falling on his face. And he's he's praying and he's weeping. And he says, Lord, remove the cup from me. Remove the cup of your wrath. Remove it from me. And you remember what Jesus said? Yet not what I will, but your will be done. Jesus' obedience to his heavenly Father took priority in his life. For you and I, for me to deny myself is to place my desires secondary secondary to what God would have me to do. What I'm going to do is I'm going to align myself, first of all, with the person of Jesus, and then I'm going to align myself with the scriptures, and I'm going to align myself, and that is going to have priority in my life, not what I want. And I'm going to continue to do that as we walk down the road with Jesus. Are we living our lives with just the thought of it's all about me and it's all about my peace and all about my comfort? Or are we actively pursuing what it is that God would want for our lives? Uh, There's a a pastor and a a teacher at uh, Moody Bible Institute, and and I like the way that he framed this idea of denying yourself. And I'm going to put on the screen here. This is what he said. Denying self is not the same as self-denial. We practice self-denial when for a good purpose we occasionally give up things or activities, Lent, for example. But we deny self when we surrender ourselves to Christ and determine to obey his will. And that's what he's talking about here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to disassociate myself from uh, the, 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 the love of this world 
and the boastful pride of life and, and the lust of the world, the lust of the flesh, and all of those things, 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to disassociate myself from all of those things, and I'm going to find great delight in walking in obedience to who God is and what he would have for my life. My life is subordinate to the life of Jesus. So there's a second pronouncement. And by the way, it doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any easier. I'm just telling you. Look at verse 34. We need to surrender to death. That's surrender to death. We fight for our life. We fight for existence. The paradox here is that we go to death. Verse 34 says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. Take up his cross. It's interesting. This is the first time that the, the word cross is used in the gospel of Mark. And this is beyond the difficulties and the challenges of life. We all have hardship. We all have difficulties. But Jesus is making a call to take up the cross, that, that cross beam, uh, the cross beam that Jesus had to carry, got halfway there. Take up that cross, put it on ourselves, and we are to march to the hill to be crucified like Jesus was crucified. That's what it means to take up the cross. And by the way, the Jews, the Jewish people, the Romans, they would be very aware of the cross and crucifixion. There was one particular time in the days, this is before Jesus, maybe 80 80 years before Jesus, Antiochus Epiphanes and one other of the Maccabean rulers, they had 800 Pharisees crucified on crosses. Uh, One person said that within the lifetime of Jesus, there may have been 30,000, 30,000 crucifixions that were a part of that period during the time of Jesus. So there is no doubt they were very familiar with the concept of what it meant for them to see a crucifixion to die on a cross. And so what does Jesus do? He invites us to take up our cross and to follow him into the pathway of death, if you will. A cross comes specifically walking in the steps that Jesus walked and embracing his life, which means this. You may, you may face scorn. You may face hatred. You may lose a job. You may lose a friendship. When you and I take the narrow way, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. When we take that narrow way, that becomes a very difficult thing in our day and age in our society. When everybody wants to live their own truth, and when we make a choice to follow that path and it becomes narrow, we are going to face persecution. We are going to face difficulties in life. When you embrace the ethics of Jesus in your family, when you embrace the ethics of of Jesus in the business world, in your personal life, in your morality, in your thinking, when you embrace the ethics of Jesus, it will radically change your life. And people may see that and they may bristle about that. Power is subordinated to humility. Pride is subordinated to humility. If if I want the path up, what do I do? I humble myself and I become a servant. The pathway that Jesus leads us to is upside down in the values of the world. And he simply invites us here to go to the cross with him. Carry your beam, if you will, to the cross. So Jesus' pronouncement is this disassociate from ourselves. We, we are to take up our cross. The third thing is this, don't give up. Don't give up. When it's hard, don't give up. When it's difficult, don't give up. When you want to give up, don't give up. 
Notice what it says. Verse 34 again, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's been the point throughout this entire text. But the, the idea here is take the same road as me. Take the same road that I took. I, I know it's not an easy road. It, it's a hard road. It's a difficult road. It's, it's, it's a road that could lead to death. But if you want to, to follow me and to live in the manner that I, I lived in, what I need you to do is I, I need you to, to, to follow me in the difficulties and the challenges of life. A follower of Jesus by the name of John, he, he wrote these words. He says, First John, he says, Whoever claims to live in him must live as he lived. If, if I claim to be in Jesus and want to live like Jesus, then what I need to do is I need to live under the principles of putting Jesus first and the gospel first. That, that's what Jesus is giving to us here. If you're familiar with Paul, Ephesians chapter 5 says this, Be imitators of God and live a life of love. Uh, just as Christ loved us and gave himself as a sacrifice for sin. In order for you and I to be an imitator of God, I need to live a life of love and to live a life of sacrifice. That is what it means for you and I to mimic, to imitate God, to imitate Jesus. Listen, the Christian life, following God is not easy. What about Abraham? Abraham didn't know where he was going. Go to the place I'm going to show you, Hannah. She's barren. She's coming to the temple weeping every year, wanting a child. She's waiting for the perfect timing of God, Joseph. Joseph had given this dream. His friends are going to, his family's going to, they're going to bow down to him, and he's not even in the same country. Joseph must have had a difficult challenge to go through. Job. And, and what we are invited to do is to continue to per, pursue and to follow the life of Jesus. So I don't know if you're familiar with a guy by the name of Thomas Akempis. He's kind of a devotional, spiritual kind of guy. When I was in college, I was exposed to him by a book. And he, he wrote a book. It's really actually a good book. It's a devotional. And it's called The Imitation of Christ. And it's a great book, written in the 1400s. And, and he has a, a good quote that I think applies to where we would find ourselves this morning. Here it is. Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ. Jesus had many who love his kingdom in heaven, but few who bear his cross. He has many who desire comfort, but few who desire suffering. He finds many who share his feast, but few who share his fasting. All desire to rejoice with him, but few are willing to suffer for his sake. Many follow Jesus to the breaking of bread, but few to the drinking of his passage. passion. Many admire his miracles, but few follow him in the humiliation of the cross. What is Jesus simply doing here? Jesus is laying out the terms and the conditions of what it means to follow him. And the question that I have to ask myself and the question that we all have to ask is, do I want to check the box? Do I want to check the box or do I just want to read to the end? I want to enjoy all the benefits of the forum. I just don't do all the, want to do all the things that they say. And these are, these are the, the words of Jesus. And I think the tension here is this. I think the tension here is this. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Why should I deny myself? Why should I take up my cross? Why, why should I, why should I follow? That, those are practical questions. By the way, the disciples asked those questions in Matthew chapter 19. Peter asked that question. Hey, Lord, we've been following you for all of this time. What is in it for us? I think that's a great question. And it's a practical question. And it's a question that we all ask. What's in it for us?
maybe what we need to do is we need to look in the broader perspective of what's God's perspective on this, not a human's perspective, and what is it that God would have for our lives in the way that we would live. Maybe there's a person and maybe there's a cause that transcends our life. Let me see if I can illustrate this. We just celebrated Veterans Day. Veterans Day is a day where we set aside to honor those who served in the military, who sacrificed in the military. You all know, have family members who sacrificed in the military. I watched my brother 20 years uh, on a nuclear sub, and he would go out in the water. He would go out for six months at a time. We had no idea where he was, and we don't even know for how many months he was literally under the water. And we can look at all of our veterans and we can look at all of these people and say they have sacrificed for our country. Many of them in World War II gave the ultimate cost, their lives in the military. Why did they do that? Because when they signed up to be in the Army, Navy, Marines or whatever, they signed up to defend the cause. And they understood the cost that they could lose their lives for what they are doing. What kept them motivated and what kept them going is they understood the bigger cause of what they were fighting for. And I think that's the same point here. What is the greater cause that you and I are fighting for? We are fighting for the person of Jesus. We are defending the person of Jesus and we are defining, de- defending the very words of Jesus and who he is and we would have for us and how we would live our lives. And so what we do is we come to the practical implications of how this understanding of Jesus should change our lives. And I think according to the text, it should change us in three ways. Number one is this. It should change the way that we view ourselves. It should change the way that we view ourselves. Look at verse 35 again. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. What? There's a paradox there. Save his life, will lose it. The idea of save means, it has the idea of rescuing from peril, rescuing from danger. On one level, there's, a, there's an earthly understanding of saving my life, of, of working for my life and trying to fill my life and trying to do all of the responsibilities of what I need to do to save my life, to take care of my life, to preserve my life. And if I do that, if I see this only from an earthly perspective and I fall in line and if I put all of my time, all of my emotion, all of my stuff in that earthly existence to save my existence, what's going to happen? The paradox is this. I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. Because I have filled my heart, soul. By the way, in this text, life and soul kind of go together I can lose my life, I can lose my soul for what? By pursuing the wrong things. And so what the cross does, the cross changes the way that we would live our lives. And that's what happens. There's not just an earthly dimension to life, there is an eternal dimension to this life. And that's what changes us. That's what's about our faith. Peter knew that, and Peter understood that. And he writes in 1 Peter about how that dimension of his life, earthly versus eternal, has changed. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Wow. Silver and gold. I would love to have a lot of silver. 
I'd love to have a, a huge pot of silver and gold. I'd love to have it. But the Bible says that's just perishable stuff. At the end of the day, is that going to get what you want? Is that really going to feed, feed your soul, the stuff of this world? We know it doesn't. We all know it. We would just like to experience a little bit more. Oh, Lord, I could handle $100,000. I could handle hitting the lottery. Yeah, sure you can. Notice what he says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life. Redeemed from your empty way of life, a human existence, an earthly existence, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blame. The precious blood of Christ is what? It's the cross. And what Jesus did when he went to the cross and offered him as a sacrifice for sin. And that's what Jesus is getting here with the disciples. So the implications is, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Will you embrace that about me? For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. The perspective of how I live my life is entirely different. Because what I want to do now is I'm going to live an entirely different way. I want to lose my life for the sake of Jesus and the sake of the gospel. That's the second thing he talks about. This way that Jesus is giving to us will change what you view about the gospel. Look at verse 35 again. But whoever loses his life, what for me and for the gospel... This is about Jesus in the gospel. In other words, there's a higher calling in life. Jesus elevates himself. Life is about about me, about who I am. I'm the king of kings and I'm the Lord of lords. I'm God in the flesh. I'm the anointed. I'm the Messiah. but, But I'm also the one who's come to live on this life. And I've come to offer myself on the cross for you. There's an earthly dimension to my life, but there's also an eternal dimension to my life. And the eternal dimension of my life says that I'm going to give my life, I'm going to give my soul to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And I'm not going to lose my soul to all of the trappings and all of the stuff of this world. There's a higher and lower meaning here with the idea of soul and life. The higher meaning is eternal. The lower meaning is I'm going to preserve and take care of my life. Where and what is the choice that we make? Understanding the teachings of Jesus will radically alter the way that we live our lives about ourselves, about the gospel. And the last thing is this. It will change what you value, what we value in life. Look at verse 35, 36 and 37. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, there's some really interesting words there. If you're an accountant, if you're a money person, if you're an investor, a tax collector... You, you might gravitate to the word association that's here. Let, let me just point it out. Save versus lose. Gain versus profit or forfeit. Um, give and exchange. If you have a 401k or you have a stock or you have investment somewhere, don't, don't you want to see them profit? Don't you want to see them gain? And if they don't, you're, you're going to make some changes in life, aren't you? Well, that's kind of what he's talking about here. This is about profit and loss. You have Simon, you have a tax collector there, and I wonder what's going on in his mind as, as he thinks through all of these things. In other words, I think what, what Jesus is doing, he's saying, hey, listen, by the way, don't get so wrapped up in the here and now, the things of this world, that you forget that there's a larger dimension about there. Life is not just about profit 
and gain. It's going to change the very way that I would use my time. It's going to change the way that I would use my talent. It's going to change the way that I would use my finances. Why is it? Even after I gain the whole world, I don't want to forfeit my soul. Now, what, what will you give in exchange for your soul of spending eternity in heaven in the presence of the Lord? And by the way, you don't lose anything with Jesus, right? We store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not take away all of those things. When we are investing in God's kingdom and God's principles, we actually become the blessed because of who he is and what he has done for us. There's a greater purpose in all of this, and that greater purpose is to live with the perspective of giving our lives away to who Jesus is and what he would have for us and what he would do for us. So what Jesus does with the disciples is he, he lays out the terms and conditions of what it means to follow him. It's all personal. Every one of us has to make that choice. Your family member can't make it. And then, and then he lays out the terms and conditions about yourself, about the cross, and about following. And then the implication for that. And, and I, I, cannot, I, I cannot tell you how that embraces and changes your life. Each one of us, is personal, has to make that, make that decision of how Jesus' words and teaching change us and what we need to do. So how do we do this? I want to close with this. First of all, you can't do it by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. There's no way that you can. Our Christian faith is not about rules, regulations, and checking off the boxes. The Christian faith is, is about, I've been crucified with Christ, and there's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. In other words, Christ lives inside of me. The Spirit of God lives inside of me. And when those difficulties and challenges of life come, I'm absolutely dependent upon who he is and what he's done for. I cannot live the Christian faith in my own strength. I have to live under the power, under the authority of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so it means this, that when I lack wisdom, I can ask God for wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will give us wisdom. When I am suffering, 1 Peter chapter 4 talks this, when, when I am suffering for my faith, when I'm suffering as a Christian, the Bible says that the spirit of God in glory rests upon you, that in the midst of the pain and suffering of life, God's spirit will rest upon you and bear you up in ways that you cannot think or imagine. And the last thing is this. The Bible says this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that's not a name it and claim it. Oh, I'm going to get a new car. God's going to increase my bank account. I'm going to get this job. That's not what it means at all. It means that when I align myself with the principles of Scripture, when I align myself with the person of Jesus, and the principles of God's word, he will give me strength to follow through in what he's asked and required of me to do because I cannot do it in my own strength. This is incredibly radical teaching here that Jesus brings out. And he ends with the idea of being ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus now. I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus now. What I want to do is live to the best of my ability under the authority of God's word so that he is honored and he is glorified. And sometimes that means I've got I've to put my desires and wishes in the background and pursue who Jesus is and to continue to follow him. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I, I thank you for the call that you've placed on our life. Father, the cause of Jesus and the cause of the gospel, there, there is nothing higher than that. The lives of men and women, the lives of etern- the, the, the prospect of eternity uh, lie in the balance of what it means to follow Jesus. 
And so, Father, I pray that as we look to the beauty of who Jesus is and what he's done, that our hearts would be challenged to follow him, not because we're checking off boxes, but we're following him because we love him and we care for him and we want to love and honor him for who he is and what he's done for us. Father, I thank you for my friends in this room. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the great privilege you have of living for you. And Father, as we approach Thanksgiving, as we approach the holiday, the Christmas season, Father, I pray that we would just be mindful of who you are, what you've done for us, and that you would allow us to, to walk with you, to follow you in the difficulties and the challenges of life. And Father, I ask this in Jesus' name.